Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the character change. My name is Ashley Lobasa Gabe, and I am your host. This is totally how the day is going, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I am here with Christiana Kimmick. That's me. And our and amazing producer who works her hiney off for this podcast, does all of everything <laughs> and is amazing. So thank you. Thank you. I love all you. of our courage to changers. Love you. Aw. And we are in the booth, rock in the booth. We're thinking about switching up the furniture. This is like a 300 square foot, maybe 400. No, I mean, this is... It's probably smaller 100. than that. Probably 100. <laughs> this is not Ashley knowing square footage. Um, okay. We're in like a 100 square foot. We'll have to measure and then we'll like put it in the Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're going to fact check that. Um, it's a small space and our chairs are starting to resist their duty. <laughs> My chair's sinking. Yeah. Like a ship. It is not out of the question for the legs of this chair to suddenly break and meet the ground. <laughs> like I'm I'm definitely emotionally prepared for that situation. Well, but yours your chair isn't the sinky one. No, my chair is the unstable oh, one. Yours is wobbly. The wobbles, yeah. The one that's like questionable whether or not <laughs> Whether or not it's going to hold anything. So I'm sore from working out. So I just can't, I just straight up can't get out of my chair today because I'm sunken in and I just can't get up out of a chair anyways. Oh God, I need a good excuse. I feel like that anyway. So, and then you're on the, so if. So yeah, if we both hit the ground. We're going to leave it in the Yeah, we're definitely going to leave it in. So you can hear We'll just after pull that. the uh, microphone stands <laughs> down with us and sit on our broken chairs. Which. You did. You didn't fall out of a chair, but I captured you on Instagram last week. You just had like, we done a done. bunch of recordings. Done. She was exhausted. Smoked. I mean, mind you, Ashley is also running a business full time. She's a mom of two adorable and incredibly energetic twin boys, a wife, a really good friend, and also add it all on top of that, you're in school. So I stick her with like a long day of podcast recordings and at the end of it, I'm like, hey, we just need to record like an intro real quick. And I turn around and she has plopped herself on the floor <laughs> and has completely finagled the mic in the mic stand and pulled it down towards her. I wanted to lay down while I recorded, but that my I, I think my voice would change. It does. Yeah. Actually, fun fact, Christina Aguilera recorded a song. Oh, I'm obsessed with her. Laying down. What? I'll have, to, I'll have to look up which song oh. it was, but I watched, this was years ago, so yeah. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you how many Genie in a Bottle? No. What was it? I think it was a song about, it might have been about her dad or... Hurt? It wasn't Hurt. <laughs> Am I exposing my deep love for Christina Aguilera? <laughs> You are, and that's okay, yeah. but I don't remember which one it was. I just remember watching a special on her, and she wanted a different feeling because um, she's such a powerhouse vocally. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so she really wanted to she, kind of, like, take her vocals back but still have, like, the depth and the soul that she normally yeah. has, and it was really cool. Like, it, it showed her cool. recording and, and laying down. It was really Maybe awesome. Maybe I'll do that. We could do it. Podcast on the flow. Hello, beautiful people. I am on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> podcast that's actually mm -hmm. I'm really excited a, for this podcast that's a really good podcast idea podcast on the floor mm. 
the courage to change on the floor. That sounds dirty. <laughs> I mean, take it how you will. Sometimes you get a party. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, um, well, I'm really excited about today because today is our first after the episode in season two. Whoop. And we are, reminder, for those of you who may not have heard our season two intro, we are doing away with the point five <laughs> numbering. <laughs> um, we didn't get any bad feedback on it, but as we kind of, the whole point of the point five was when we were doing a guest interview and then an after the episode afterwards. And so we were trying to do one, 1.52, 2.53, 3.5. And <laughs> and it just didn't work because we upped the amount of interviews that we had and then the point fives got out of control and because we were doubling up episodes and, you know, doing like two or three at a time. So we're just doing away with it. We're just doing straight numbered episodes. So today this is <laughs> if you were concerned, if you were concerned, well, if you're somebody like me as a listener, I want to be told What's happening? What, yeah. What numbers? Right. Otherwise, I'm like, what happened? What happened? They How were making all these decisions. These uh, changes. These changes. I don't like change personally. <laughs> I like change I like. <laughs> I don't so like true. change I don't like. <laughs> That's so true. Um, so today is episode 36 after the episode, and we are discussing the first three episodes of season two, which is 33 with Kimberly Russell, 34 with Michelle Murphy, and 35 with Kendra Allen. Woo, woo, all my ladies, where my ladies at? Woo, 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 woo. Uh, podcast soundtrack to come out at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those were uh, amazing and really fun to kick off a season with. And uh, I really forgot how much fun it was. I know. And it's so cool because... There's so many correlating themes in each of these episodes and even in some of the ones that we've already recorded that will be coming up. And before we go on, mm -hmm. I just want to say a couple things, which is if you're new to the Courage to Change, welcome. Uh, keep coming back. And mm -hmm. we have an Instagram. We have an Instagram. Yes. yes. The Courage to Change underscore podcast. Please go. And follow if you're on the IG. The IG. The, you're the, so cool. You're, I'm, <laughs> I'm really cool. So there's that. Mm -hmm. um, please follow us on Instagram, uh, the Courage to Change underscore podcast. Uh, please feel free to email us, podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. And um, we also have a form that you can fill out on the website that allows you to apply to be a guest. Yep. So those are my announcements. Thank you. Sorry. Moving on. Thank you. That's awesome. That's something that I should have remembered to do. <laughs> so see, you're <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember all, I'm remembering the, the boring stuff. Oh, and we're also on Facebook too. Oh, we're on Facebook. Facebook as well. Yes. The Courage to Change a Recovery Podcast. Okay, cool. Facebook or, too. I think it's I, as well. Facebook has an at I think it's the Courage to Change podcast. We have it in the show notes. So check the show notes. There are, there are links to uh, our website and our new Facebook and our new Instagram. And we will be posting there about new episodes and fun updates. And we'll be doing some Instagram lives soon and mm -hmm. 
fun stuff and we will tell you what's happening yes. and when. So thank you. So some of the correlating themes between these three episodes were alcoholism, codependency, abuse, uh, dealing with narcissism, something that I'm fascinated by, suicide. That one was really prevalent in these three breakups and relationships, um, doing geographics, which mm-hmm. that was a new mm-hmm. term for me before I came into the recovery space. Oh, yeah. Pulling a geographic. Pulling a geographic, which I have done. <laughs> yep. Same, uh, same. Goodness gracious. Um, which pulling a geographic, in, in case anyone doesn't know that, it's essentially... You move to run away from your problems. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say relocating yeah, to stay yeah. away from your issues. <laughs> Same thing. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> you run. You run. Yeah, you're like, I can't. We. I just broke up with this guy. We can't be in the same state. Got to mm-hmm. go. <laughs> and that'll fix everything. Yeah, yeah, well, it'll certainly fix that piece. Mm-hmm. Well, at least for a while or yeah. a day yeah. or two days. I mean, I'm kind of grateful for my geographic, but yeah, it's true. But what's the saying? Wherever you go, you are. Wherever you go, there you are. That's it. Oh, and that is very true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I brought me with me. <laughs> In all her glory. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, something else that I loved hearing from these three episodes was connecting to your passion and recovery as mm, well. So huge. coming into recovery and not just working, you know, if you're part of a 12-step program, working the steps and, you know, doing phase work or whatever type of a program or recovery that you're working, but also finding and connecting to your passion and utilizing that mm-hmm. as part of your recovery, right? which is phenomenal. It is phenomenal and it makes recovery so much easier. <laughs> recovery is not always easy. That's an understatement. And it's not. Um, no. And that is something that eases the, you know, the difficulty of the other part when you have something you're excited to go do. Yeah. I think that's really huge. Now, Kimberly, to kind of highlight some of those things, and please feel free to jump in if I miss anything too. So, Kimberly Russell, episode 33, we're going to kind of go backwards. At the end of her episode, she talks about how she's been in property management and that's been her job for a while. And she's recently started doing life coaching mm-hmm. and really has found what she wants to do for the rest of her life. She feels very fulfilled doing that. It's not an easy job. Um, there's aspects of counseling. She's not a counselor, but there's aspects of it where you're talking through very difficult things with people, mm-hmm. setting goals with them. And it was really neat to watch her talk about that. And just, you know, you, you can hear it through the podcast episode yeah. when someone lights up. Um, but seeing it on their face, too, as we're in the booth with them is really amazing. And it was so neat to watch her describe that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I agree. And I absolutely think that that feeling that you get when you're doing something you know you're meant to be doing, it's pretty it's pretty impossible to replace. Yeah. And I for me... You know, she didn't seem to fight that, but for me, it's something I have fought and you just, it just is what it is. Right. And, uh, so I just loved seeing that that was the helping people, you know, for me, my unsolicited advice to people is to go broader with what you want to do. Like you might like life coaching, but really what you want to do is help people and you want to find whatever way, whatever way you're meant to help people. You want the universe to put you in there in that space Mm -hmm. that you're available to do that. And so I, you know, 
my recommendation with things like that is if you have a passion and you want to help people and you want to help people in a certain way, right? Like, you know, in this case, life coaching or don't worry about like what it's called. Don't worry. Don't worry if it's like there's a certification for it or, you know, which one of these things am I going to do? Really focus on, I want to help people and I want to help people by helping them with their finances, by helping them organize their home, by helping them, like whatever you're really good at and that passion is for you. And if you want to couple it with a business, I would just focus on like, how do you want to feel while you're doing that job? Yeah. Like, what's the feeling you want to get? Do you want you know, do you want to feel helpful to people? Do you want like what, what's the interaction that you want to have? And if you focus on that, then you'll find yourself in a place that has you feeling that way. And it sounds like she did that. Absolutely. And there's something that I've recently been studying. I am in no way, shape, or form an expert on this. This is just something that I've been hearing through a lot of the inspirational um, things that I read and see and hear and search for. And I know this from coming from a trauma background. Right. Whenever you come from a trauma background, there's that that survival mode that kicks into Mm -hmm. your brain. And you have to learn how to function as an adult, which is something that you absolutely learn, absolutely learn in recovery. And you have to learn to turn that off to a degree. Yeah, it's or an turn Im- it down. Or turn it down yeah. because it is it is an important part to have in your brain. It's important to have that so you can access that whenever you need to utilize it. But ultimately, you cannot live in survival mode. We are not created to live in, in survival mode. fight or flight. Exactly. What I've seen come from that, living in survival mode, is something called the poverty mentality. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, oh, you know, poverty meaning like you you live in a lower income area or you don't have a lot of money. The poverty mentality is that not enough mentality. And it keeps you, it, it, it almost keeps your goals, dreams, mindsets things that you believe are possible in a small box. You don't think outside of what so you have it, the ability to do. So it's it's basically, in other words, it's whether or not you believe there's enough for everybody. You live in a, you live in a state of mind of abundance mm-hmm. or you live in a state of mind of lack. Yes. And when you live in a state of mind of lack, you always see there's a fear there's never going to be enough mm-hmm. that you're not going to get what's coming to you. And so you live in a constant state of fear and a constant state of fear is literally a heightened chemical composition mm-hmm. in your brain. Yeah. So when you live like that, it's very difficult to have a normal calm life experience or have calmer experiences because your brain is tuned to emergency mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Right. Like if you're, I mean, it's kind of the, uh, this is a horrible example, but I'm just going to use it because it came to me. But when you have, you know, a huge truck and you turn it to, you know, four by four, right? Like, like, Like you're towing something. Yep. And if you are constantly in the, you know, towing something, like you're caught, you just leave it there. You're going to use a lot more gas and power in the machine. The machine is always tuned to use everything it has. And the problem with that is that if you're using every ounce cellularly, you know, chemically, neurologically, you have to fold the laundry and brush your teeth and take a shower, there's not a lot left and it's not a very pleasant experience. And so figuring out how to come out of that, like you're talking about, 
really living in a place of abundance, like there's enough to go around and learning to believe that will change that. That was a great example with the truck, by the way. I got that visual as soon as you were saying it. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. I get that. You know, that's something you can really grab onto because, I mean, if you could picture just driving down the road. Well, you drive a big truck, so that works. (laughs) I'm like, I connect with that immediately. Yeah, exactly. I know what happens physically if you put something on four by four and you're driving on a road that doesn't need that at all. Right. Every, plus the towing, every, I I just. The whole thing, yeah. It's almost detrimental. It can break you down eventually. Oh, it will. It will. And so you're utilizing something that's meant to be utilized in very specific, heavy duty situations, but you live your whole life like that and you just burn out and and people, you, you know, from stress and anxiety and overwhelm. I mean, I think You know, for me, this is definitely something like if you have PTSD, it's something your brain just clicks into that and stays Mm -hmm. there. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, people use meditation a lot to be able to change their neuro pathways um, and to, you know, change that kind of chemical reaction. But you aren't able to function and get the things you want and enjoy the things you want when your body is in this hyper state of overwhelm. And I think that like, if you're somebody who, and I I definitely am like, who lives in a state of overwhelm, Mm. like if that's, if you wake up and you're like, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. Like that's the, Mm -hmm. that's the mantra basically of your life. Then you're definitely, your brain is definitely on, you know, in that four by four and, and you know, you are, you are wearing on the machine. And what that's going to do in regards to pursuing your passions um, or your dreams, your goals for your future, right? For setting yourself up to do what you were literally created to do, whatever that is, then it will enhance those self-limiting beliefs. So for instance, like you were saying, think bigger. If you like to help people, don't be afraid to get that certification and right. go for something. If, if that seems like, oh gosh, like I don't, I don't know. I could, if you need a degree, whatever the case may be, like that's just a specific example. Don't be afraid to take a look at that and figure out what does it take to do that because it's absolutely possible. And you know, it, there's, there's so many self-limiting beliefs that you know, it goes so much deeper than just like feel good. You know, it's not yeah. just like, let me pump you up so I can, you know, I'm going to have a great future. Yeah. It it really goes to the depths of how your body, just like you were saying, PTSD, how your body has responded to yeah. things yeah. and really honestly having to condense your daily life down to such a degree that you know you can survive like this. You know that you are able to do every task in front of you, everything in your job or or wherever you're staying. You know, you, this is how you're able to live and you know that you can control it all. And it takes work to step out of that and like get community around you and ask for help and then realize you can do more. It's such like a, I feel like it comes with healing. I think you used a really great word. You used the word survive. That's a perfect, perfect word. If you are surviving, like that's what we did when we were using. That's Mm -hmm. what we did when, you know, like when during trauma, that's what we did. We survived, right? Like I spent so many years. I survived my childhood. Let's Mm -hmm. be clear. Not to say I didn't have privilege or any of those things, but bottom line is like I, that, that was a survival thing. My using was survival. And the goal is to not survive. The goal is to live, Mm -hmm. right? 
And when you, I mean, literally think about those two different words, like I survived this or I lived this, Mm. right? Like it's a different, it it has a different meaning. Mm -hmm. And with my, I mean, you listed my (laughs) extracurriculars, you know, I find myself often surviving my life, Mm -hmm. which I really don't want. Yeah. I don't want to survive it. I want to be in it and live it and experience the joy and experience the accurate amount of stress that's supposed to come with <laughs> the, you know, the task at hand. Right. Like I want to be tuned to, to, you know, relatively normal, right? I want yeah. to be stressed about a paper, but I don't want my body to be so stressed that it thinks that, that there's a burglar. Like, mm. th- like, you know what I mean? I want that the level. right amount of chemical composition to come together. That's like, Ooh, this is stressful because it's a paper and it's due and mm-hmm. I have work and I have kids and blah, blah, blah. But you know, with perspective. Yeah. And I think that when we spend our lives surviving and we're so used to like surviving till the weekend or surviving the weekend, if you're a parent, <laughs> surviving till Monday, you miss out. And I've, I've found that in sobriety, you know, I am still checking out. I'm still looking for numbing agents. Mm -hmm. They don't, they're not the same ones. They don't cause me to lose my sobriety. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're still numbing agents. It's still me checking out. And my goal, my, you know, ultimate goal, which I'll probably, you know, spend my whole life trying to achieve is to be present and enjoy what I have Mm -hmm. to want what I have. I want to want what I have. This is really great stuff that we're talking about right now. If someone's feeling this way and they can relate to this and they don't know what steps to take Mm -hmm. to get out of survival mode or to start getting out of survival mode and, and starting to switch those gears, what would they do? So a couple of assignments, like there's a lot of writing stuff. There's a lot of research that shows that writing pen and paper has, which I personally, just for the record, like when I'm journaling or that kind of thing, like it's really hard for me (laughs) to write by hand because it's, I can do it so much faster on the computer, but there is evidence that writing the words by hand, um, helps change the neural pathways. Right. Wow. So just by, you know, it's the same kind of thing where like when you're in school and you write out a study guide Mm -hmm. by like writing that out, the, you know, the guide, or I don't know if you used to do this, but I used to do writing it out that it, it kind of commits it to memory in some yeah. way. So an assignment that I was given that has been helpful is writing out how you want to feel, like what you want to feel, how you want to feel in your body, how you want to feel in your life and how you want to feel in your job. Like, what does that feel like? Do mm. you want to feel like excitement? Do you want to feel calm and peace? Do you want to feel, you know, great love or do you want to feel competition? Do you want to feel like, what do you want to feel? How does it, how do you want to feel? And I thought that was really interesting. I have never before that, I never thought about that. Like you never really thought about like, how do I want to feel? Like I would say when I was a kid, I, you know, I was like, I want to be um, a corporate attorney and, you know, all the things like, if you were to ask me what that like, okay, so that's like working 80 hours a week, you know, like it's working, you know, it's, it's, it, what is that lifestyle like, right? Right. Is that a lifestyle that I want? No. But what was it that I wanted to feel? Mm. I wanted to be an expert at something. I wanted to be able to help people. 
I wanted to work in business. I wanted to be taken very seriously. I mm-hmm. wanted to be highly educated, right? Those were things I wanted to feel. That wow. And so you back into that, like, what is it that I want to feel? And then when you write those things down, I want to feel highly educated. I want to be taken very seriously. I want to wear a suit and tie to work. I want to, you know, feel like an expert. I want, you know, whatever it is, whatever those things are, like I want to interact with people or I don't want to interact with people. I just want to interact with the computer. I want to interact with people three times a day, like whatever it is, really thinking about what you want your life to feel like. And I had never stopped to do that. I just found the, like, I just found things that I thought would make me feel those ways instead of looking at the ways that I wanted to feel. Interesting. Like I backed my way into that. So writing down back to the assignment, um, having a journal and writing down how you want to feel is super uh, clarifying and can help you um, and you can change it and think about it. I highly suggest that. Start with how you want to feel. After you do that and you get some like good clarity around that, then you want to look at like what are what are you how does do the things that you're doing make you feel currently? And what do you think would make you feel the way you want to feel? And so you just start thinking about that. Like how do I want to feel? Because the goal of life is to feel good. And I just didn't know how to do that. I I mean, I'm still not super great at it without drugs and alcohol or other, you know, (laughs) stimulating circumstances. Like I need to jump out of a plane to feel good. You know, I, I, I've searched for ways to feel good my entire life. And so did all of our guests, you know, we just wanted to feel good. Right. That's what we're doing. That's what everybody on this podcast wants to do. They want to feel good. Every single human, they want to feel good. Right. And when you break it down to that, I like didn't realize that I had to do things that made me feel good to feel good. (laughs) What a concept. I know. I mean, but it sounds so crazy. I just, honestly, I was like, you have to suffer to feel good. That was like really what I thought. Like you have to, you have to put your nose to the grindstone. You have to work as hard as you possibly can and use every ounce of of grit and ambition and like, you know, to feel good. Those are the things I thought would make, like you had to do to feel good. I thought that was a recipe for feeling good. That's wrong. The recipe for feeling good is doing things that make you feel good. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I really until recently did not understand that. And so I think that's kind of like you know, with break, with Kendra talking about breakup bestie, mm-hmm. such a rad idea. Just oh. so rad, right? I just love that. I l- absolutely just think it's the coolest thing ever. And she is doing something that makes her feel good. Like, mm-hmm. like it truly is as simple as it sounds. It's just not easy. And it, I, I think it's not, there's not a lot of models currently to show that. There's a think about it. You and I have talked about this before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but your school system, I am not anti-school, but your school system teaches you to come in from this time to this time, sit in your desk and do this type of work. There's not a ton of creativity surrounding. The, oh, you I can be everything that you want to be. Let me help you out cuz you don't want to come out and say it, but I'll come out and say it. Like it's a it's it's it is the data, like forget my opinion, the data on what it does to children 
to go into environments like that, mm-hmm. sit at the desk, particularly little boys, and be forced to be educated that way was something that came out of the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. And it is completely outdated and shows to it, – it is absolutely shown to kill creativity and kill p- children's natural innate desire to learn a hundred percent. Like it is a recipe for that. And there's a wonderful book called creative schools. And there's, it talks about all these different, you know, progressive schools that have done different models of schooling Mm -hmm. that include creativity and the difference with, and they've pulled children out of the public school system that were failing. So it was, they took those kids and they put them into these different types of schools and they all went to call, you know, they all were thriving, amazing stories, started companies, started like really cool stuff. And a book called Creative Schools, we'll put it in the show notes. It's about like doing, like when you do, but we're taught, right? Like yeah. we're taught to go to school and like if you work hard, then good things will come to good you. Good things will come to you. And that I was not the case. I really, I really took that to heart in such a deep way sense. Like I have to suffer. Like I Mm. believed that you have to suffer to get all the things that you want and to feel good. Like you suffer to feel good. Wow. Wow. Right. When you put it like that, I'm sure there are so many people who can relate to that. Yeah. I mean, even with Lion Rock, like, yeah, I, you know, like if I just put in another hour, you know, like, you know, years ago, if I just you know, what if I just suffer some more, whatever that suffering looks like, right. I'm doing it for this outcome. And in some ways that's true, right? Like in some ways the hard work, right, paid off. But I lost that period of my life doing some enjoying that period of my life. Like I right. didn't like there were ways I could have enjoyed what I was doing or whatever it was, but I chose to suffer. And to, in in hopes of feeling good, right? When in reality, just for like, the suffering for the sake of suffering. Suffer, you're, you're, right. you're not saying that it's that things that you're starting or no. you know getting things off the ground or whatever the case isn't going to take sacrifice and right. hard work. It's just right. it's. I think what you're saying is you're constantly making that choice. You're making yeah. a conscious choice. Okay, I'm doing this because this is the right thing to do. Oh, and I reinforce it by telling myself I'm literally suffering. So like it's it doesn't even. Goodness. I mean, this is me. Like I sit there and I'm like, you're suffering. <laughs> you know, like I'm sitting. <laughs> like it's not even a. It's like a whole experience for me, right? Like That's... I have the dialogue going, right? Like I mean, it, it's like oh a whole God. thing. Like I am like because t- because somewhere I learned. Mm-hmm. I don't know where. Somewhere I learned that if you suffer, you can. That takes you to happiness. Like all the people who are happy and have things and blah, 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 they suffered to get where they were, right? They fought hard. But I hmm. missed a nuance. I miss you what you're saying. I, the nuance I missed was working hard doesn't have to be suffering. Right. I, I missed that. And so I spent years suffering. And I think what you're saying is like, you know, finding your passion and, and finding things that make you feel good in recovery, you know, are really about... <laughs> like doing things that make you feel good because the way to feel good is to do things that make you feel good. And that doesn't mean you don't work hard. No, it but, means that you're probably right. going to work harder essentially right. at it. Because but like if you loathe running. Oh, don't then don't run. If you loathe, absolutely loathe running and I, you think that's the only way you're going to get in shape or that's the only way. No, but I mean like that. My, no, I'm I'm laughing because like my hand's up. I cannot stand oh, running. Yeah. 
I mean, oh, I actually have, is just not I actually thing. miss it and like it more than I did. But originally, like I ran half marathons. I loathed doing it. But like, like I really truly took on this idea, and I think so many people do that mm-hmm. you have to suffer to get what you want. I don't know if I've ever suffered more (laughs) physically than I have as a dancer. Mm -hmm. Like even we just recently filmed, so I have a dance company and we recently filmed a video on addiction that we're going to share coming up in April, which we're really excited about. So it'll be released sometime in April. We'll give you updates, but it was like an entire day of shooting yeah. and the photographer and videographer, it was their first time actually working with dancers. And so right. they didn't know what to expect. They, they weren't sure. I think they thought, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they thought, but they ended up texting us afterwards and they were like, you guys are the most incredible like superheroes we've ever met because we were, you know, it, this was a, it, it was an addiction video. It was a very gritty video. There was yeah. a lot of floor work, meaning, you know, we're doing things in layers. Like if you're talking about doing work high as a dancer, it, it means like you're standing, you're yeah. doing a lot of like leaps and jumps and, you know, your choreography up high floor work is choreography on the floor lower to the ground. And I mean, we had moments where one person's dragging the other person away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we are, we each were texting each other pictures of our knees and how bruised <laughs> up we were. And we, I mean, three of us couldn't like stand up straight for five right. days. Oh you know, God. it was just, it was crazy, but like, we didn't walk away feeling like it was in vain. We actually were like, I mean, as like decrepit as our bodies were for the next week, it was like there was like a purpose behind it. And I think that's what you're saying. It's like we we all love to dance so much. We do this like as like a side thing. Right. You do things that make you feel good. That doesn't mean that like while you're dancing that your knees don't hurt or you whatever. Right. Like or whatever. Like it just it means like I just think my experience has been that a lot of people miss this and I missed it too. Like it's it's just the goal is to feel good and you do things to feel good. And I have to learn to do that in a new way because I'm in recovery and I can't use all the things that I used before or I can, I certainly can, but I won't get the outcome that I'm looking for. Um, so I have to find new ways to do that. And like all of the stories on this podcast are about that, about finding new ways to feel good. Yeah. And I think another good word Hopefully this is a good word. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like find something that makes you feel energized. This mm-hmm. doesn't mean bouncing off the mm-hmm. walls, but coming off of that video, yeah. I was like, oh, Red, Red like, Bulls don't count. No, no. Red Bulls do not count. <laughs> they don't. But like I just – I could have kept going even though I hurt. It, it was right. – I want everything within me wanted to and could. Yep. And I was happy and it was just this like natural high. Mm-hmm. And It's like doing a race. Yes. So find something like whatever that is that makes you energized. And, you know, for my husband, we were having this talk the other day and talking about like, well, what makes him feel good? What's his kind of purpose? Mine's very expressive. I love, you know, producing this, anything production, producing the podcast, producing a dance video, producing, you know, a music video, whatever it is. I, I just love that. It's that output for him. We were, he was like, I like soccer, but it doesn't like, yeah. it, that's a yeah, workout yeah, yeah. for me. Like right, right, for right. him, it's not, he's not passionate about right. soccer. And so we figured out that for him, what energizes him is like, 
business, like helping people in their businesses. And so something right. he's like done as like a side hobby is right. like go on Upwork and like find people who need like an email marketing campaign written yeah, and like their LinkedIn profile rewritten. And he's really good at writing. And so he'll write somebody's blogs and like schedule them for, and he just, he loves that. It really energizes him, which is so unique because it, it's just, it's utilizing a different part of the brain than mine for dance. And so that was neat to talk about and see the differences. And Michelle Murphy in episode 34, she talked about a lot of different things, but one of the things that really helped her in her recovery journey was yoga. And it helped her, you know, for so many different reasons, but it, it meant so much to her that she ended up becoming a teacher and now co-owns her own yoga studio in Arizona, which is so neat. Like a lot of people will connect and do yoga, but like she opened her own studio doing it, like literally is making a living out of something that gives her life, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. And then Kendra Allen, which you referenced in episode 35, she has this business called The Breakup Bestie, which is so cute. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Oh my gosh, what a neat concept. She basically, it's almost like workshopping you through your breakup, Mm -hmm. but it's like also not only workshopping you through your breakup and doing some work through it so that you can heal, but also like her being there for you. Yeah. Kind of on call, like oh, whatever yeah. you need, which is so amazing it's because just so cool. I mean, any of what us you need been through a horrible breakup oh, know that like you just, the worst. yeah, like having that and you don't want to burn out your friends, right? Cause totally. You, just, <laughs> your friends are like, okay, we got it. Like, oh my God. Oh, I feel so sorry for some of my friends. I like, I, I think I was could not t- like when Dak and I broke up. I could not talk to anyone about it for a period. They were just like so tired of hearing about it. Oh well, thank God you guys are back together. Yes, <laughs> you guys made some cute kids. We did. We made some real. <laughs> we made some characters. I remember there was one time I went through this awful breakup with this wonderful person. God bless him wherever he is. And I was so, I was kind of in the same predicament where it was like, I've kind of out talked everybody and just, they, they were like, <laughs> get away, like right? get over him. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he like, wasn't, he's not worth this. Yeah. And so I went to the gym and I was like, I don't know what else to do. I have to like burn this energy. Totally. Remember, I am not a runner. Like right. it is not cute. I run like a dancer. I like, I run toe heel. You're supposed mm-hmm. to go heel strike first. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Since I'm a dancer, you're taught yeah, toe heel, right? right? So it's very not cute. It's totally bad form. I get made fun of it all the time. I go on this treadmill and I turn it up like as high as I can. I don't remember what number, you know, but I mean like sprint right, right, level, right. put in headphones oh, I've totally and done it. ran it out. And I don't remember how, but totally it was like done it. Yep. much longer than I normally could have run. I have literally, <laughs> I once, there was a mirror. I'll never forget this. There was a mirror. I've, d- I've done this two different times, but, um, one time I, like there was a mirror in front of the treadmill at the, at the gym. And I did the same thing. Like I put in like the angriest music I could find <laughs> and I just ran and like stared at myself. Like just this, like, <laughs> I like yourself. stared myself down and listened to this and was like, I got to get it out. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like it, you feel like you need an exorcism or something. Yeah. You just, I was just like, trapped. I don't know what else to do here. Like yeah. I don't, I'm out of tools. Yeah, I need to do this extreme act. Oh, a hundred percent. To get this out of yeah. me. Yeah. Like, yep. yeah. You just I have understand. to like get it out and you're so tired that you're like, okay. That's why I really regret not finding kickboxing until later in life mm. because that's done so much. Oh my God. I've, oh, it's wonderful. 
I did kickboxing even when I was in good shape and I thought I was going to die. I legit in my first kickboxing class ran out of the class and vomited three oh, times. I can easily see that. Yeah. I had no clue what was coming. And like, oh, it's I've next oh, level. It, it, I never watched boxing as mm-hmm. a sport ever the same ever again. Oh, I no. just thought, God, the level oh, no. of oh, no. I'm athlete ha- I, you like, have to I be. Just at the gi- I walk into those gyms and it's I'm immediately fatigued. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's crazy. It's so, so gnarly. You're like, ooh, this hurts, oh and I haven't even God. started yet. I'm gonna need to start with the DVD at home. <laughs> what was it? Billy Blanks and Ty Yes, Ty <laughs> Am I dating myself by saying? 100% dating yourself. <laughs> oh, that was such a great DVD. Oh, God, I'm oh, also dating myself there. DVD. I know. Remember? When, I remember when those came out. Uh, I don't, I mean, I, I used to use cassette tapes and make mixtapes. So hundred percent. Yeah. So like, but I don't remember, I can't remember. Like I remember, I remember like going to the store and buying the CD, but I don't remember like, oh, CDs are out. I might be wrong, but I feel like I remember at least I discovered DVDs in 2001 because that's when I graduated from high school and I remember being at my high school boyfriend's house. And his brother was like, you want to watch a movie? And we were like, sure. So we went to go grab the VHS. And he's like, no, no. I got, you know, whatever the movie was on DVD. And we were like, what? what? And like it, the screen pops up and there's menus on the oh, screen. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. were like, how do you understand oh how to gosh. navigate this? And <laughs> I can't even. It's a how different we that? world. We 2001 that? is when I graduate. Okay, now you guys know my age. Goodness gracious. I it, it just it goes too fast. It goes way too fast. Okay, something that I really want to touch on, and mm. I am not an expert at explaining this at all. You are. So I'd like you to please explain. <laughs> A huge, huge, huge theme in all three of these podcasts was codependency. Codependency in my humble opinion, is not widely understood. I feel like it's definitely widely understood in the recovery community. In the non-recovery circles, I feel like people are really just starting to touch on what codependency means. I could be wrong. Please feel free to email us feedback. (laughs) But I just feel like it's, it's it's not well understood. I'm not sure it's well understood in the recovery community, and I'm definitely not an expert on it. Uh, I did go to treatment for it, so so, there's that. Um, Wait, before you go into this explanation, mm -hmm, I'm sorry, even though I asked you to explain and then now I'm cutting you off. My my apologies. I am sorry. I've been Brexited. Mexican. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm going to just say what codependency is. Oh, yeah, yeah, do it. Because Good. I actually had to recently explain it to somebody who is experiencing codependency. This is what we do, right? Like we learn about something and we're like, everyone has this. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> but a really good explanation kind of definition that I found was on recoveryconnection.com. Codependency is an excessive emotional, physical, and psychological reliance on a relationship that is dysfunctional. It is an emotional condition that can destroy a person's happiness, career, health, and personal relationships. Research has found that codependency is generational. It is a way of relating that is learned from the family of 
origin, understanding codependency, the behaviors associated with it, and where it originated is important. At the core of the codependent behavior exists the refusal to acknowledge a problem. They believe that one's needs should be sacrificed for others regardless of the consequences. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go into your expertise now? <laughs> I think that's a great explanation, uh, like a really solid definition. And I think codependency is, I think there are different forms that like, there's a spectrum of codependency. There's codependent mm-hmm. behaviors, right? And then, and I think that's a lot of what people talk about in recovery. Like people are, oh, that's codependent. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think it gets thrown around a lot. Yes. And the thrown around stuff, I think is like on lower end of the spectrum of things that people do, mm. which are traits of codependency. Real codependency, like when it's absolutely, you know, life or death is no joke. And what it looks like is domestic violence relationships pretty much. I mean, Mm. it it does, no one has to be hit per se, but that's the level, that's the, you know, the women who, or or men, but from my experience, it's been mostly women who um, you're like, why would they be in that relationship? You know, when you heard my story or you heard Bayon's story in season one, episode two, or you, um, you know, Kimberly or Michelle, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. talking about the narcissist, like these, you you think to yourself, like, why would you do that? Like, Mm -hmm. why would you go back to that? Why would you, et cetera, et cetera? Why does she stay? You Mm -hmm. know, those are codependent relationships. And My experience, having been to treatment for it, having been in one, you know, if you had told me that that was going to end up, that I was going to end up in that, a a domestic violence relationship, I would have laughed. Like, that's insane. My husband is like, he can't get me to stop having an opinion about (sighs) things. You know, I mean, like, it's so far from, I guess what I mean to say is like, it's so far from who you experience, most people experience me as. Yeah. They don't experience me as someone who <laughs> would put up with that at, at all. all. At all. Uh, I would never put up with it for other people being treated that way. I mean, I've been, you know, any, I would say the majority of the like altercations, physical altercations I've been in my life have been like because of other, you know, I've been me protecting someone else. Right. Like not my business basically. Right. Um, and it's really... Um, I think part of the reason that it's so degrading is because you don't see yourself that way and you find yourself in a situation with someone that defies everything you believe about yourself. And mm. you just, I mean, like same with Bayon, right? Like yeah. you, you talk to Bayon, like that's not who she is. At all. At all. At all. In these codependent relationships, the person triggers something in you. And I think you kind of touched on that trigger something in you so deep, so deeply wounded, like into a wound that is at the core, mm-hmm. that you become a different person mm-hmm. and you succumb to be what it takes surviving, right? Mm-hmm. What it takes to be in that relationship. And you have all sorts of real reasons, good reasons, bad reasons for why you stay And, you know, when there are children involved, it gets really complicated. But at the end of the day, it's really about making some, putting someone else who is not your child 100% in front of all of your needs. Like they just 100% come before you. Everything that they need, that they want, 
um, comes before you. And that includes them intimidating you. That includes them taking things from you, hitting you, whatever it is, like their need to do X, Y, Z comes before your need to not be treated that way. And this absolutely includes both physical and emotional abuse. The emotional abuse is usually worse. Mm. Not always, but the emotional abuse is no joke. I mean, absolutely no joke. I, my, uh, relationship, my boyfriend, um, you know, we were using and I was not well, I was really dope sick and I was at home and there were a lot of gnarly things going on. And he told me, um, and I have like, I had some serious abandonment issues and he told me that he was going to the grocery store. And that he would be back in an hour or two, whatever it was. And there, I had a huge reliance on him. Like I was 15 or 16 years, I was 15 years old Mm -hmm. and, you know, he was a grown man and, you know, this was a part, like there were dynamics there that where like I was helpless in some ways and he didn't come back for three days and told me that it had been, you know, four hours. So he gaslit you essentially. But like to the point where... I truly questioned my sanity. Like I really genuinely. And, um, and so for years, like that was when I was 15 years old. Right. And when Dak and I started dating, I mean, all the way up until when Dak and I started dating 15, I would like, if you told me you were going somewhere or like, like I was afraid you wouldn't come back. Mm. And because even in those situations like that codependency, that reliance on another human being at that level, right? Mm-hmm. You are so, and then the, they, them convincing you that you are crazy mm-hmm. because that's what happens. The emotional abuse piece, that's yeah. what happens. That piece carried on in my life for many, many years. I mean, that was just one incident of, of how that emotional abuse carried over into eventually the man that I married, I mean, it's not an issue now, but he, like, there were all sorts of things about, you know, the phone and how, you know, if you said you were gone and you didn't call or whatever, not because I was tracking, but because the emotional abuse that had gone down that those scars were still left over. The physical scars were gone, right? Right. I was an adult. I was a sober adult woman. The emotional scars from that relationship, they took a decade to heal because you it twists you in places that you don't have control over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, real true codependency is crippling. And the emotional abuse, like you talk about, like if you are in a relationship where you are told you're a piece of crap, where, you know, where you are verbally abused on a regular basis, you know, and you continue to put their needs before yours, that is doing irreparable damage. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say irreparable. I should say long lasting damage. You can repair it, but it is, um, it's quite serious. And so we use codependency a lot, like colloquially, we, we like, Oh, that's codependent, right. you know? Right. And I do again on that spectrum, like, I think that's real. There are behaviors that are codependent. I've certainly called the dentist and made appointments and haircuts, whatever, for my husband to go and then put it in his calendar. You know, like that's definitely codependent. And, you know, uh, whatever, whatever the words, the descriptions you want to use. But there's a difference between that codependency and what codependency does to your life. Like 
real, true, deep-seated codependency, mm-hmm. it will you will keep. I mean, the number of women that die as a result of relationships like this, right, is astonishing. Like I, I, I had no idea. We'll find the we'll find the data, but yeah. I was shocked at how many women are killed by their partners. Wow. It's crazy. I mean, we just had it happen. We just had it happen. Um, the uh, sex therapist in Hollywood, Amy, Amy Harwick, who was engaged briefly to Drew Carey, her boyfriend from a decade earlier who she had had two restraining orders on, the restraining order had lapsed for two weeks and he came and he killed her. <gasps> he threw her over a balcony. Like, I, I remember reading that, like, you can... Like, these are damaging situations. Like, I mean, that's a, you know, specific situation. But, like, real true codependency is deep, deep deep-seated emotional wounds being exploited. And it does incredible damage. And it's really serious. And I don't think that that's the part of codependency that is mainstream. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you. That was an amazing explanation. I really appreciate it. If anybody's struggling in a relationship, we'll have the number to the... uh, 911. Well, 911 is (laughs) also phenomenal. (laughs) Definitely call 911 if you're ever in a situation where you need immediate help, but we'll also have the National Domestic Violence Hotline Mm -hmm. listed under these show notes as well. There's a woman whose name is Jessica Yaffa. She's an... (laughs) uh, unbelievable book, um, last name, Jessica, last name, Y-A-F-F-A. And she is a domestic violence advocate and survived. Her husband went to prison for life for trying to murder her. Um, he stopped her a ridiculous, like, like, oh like God. a situation you can't, even, like, you can't even wrap your mind around. They have a son together. She wrote a book, Jessica Yaffa, Y-A, uh, last name spelled Y-A-F-F-A. And she has an organization that helps women as well. And wow. I, I like to refer people to her organization because she's doing some really cool stuff in that in that area. Awesome. And again, not every, you know, I mean, I guess I'm making it sound like every codependency situation is domestic violence, which isn't the case. Like some people are addicted to the other person in a super toxic, unhealthy way and that person isn't necessarily hurting them, but it's a toxic situation. That's definitely real and still still serious. Codependency is really one of those things that if you don't address it, you're just going to do it in the next in every relationship you're in. So you will pick people that where that dynamic happens. So just getting, you know, just removing yourself from that particular toxic situation, albeit probably really important to your, your, you know, healing should not be the end of that journey and that discovery around why you do that, because you will just continue to do it and create these situations. And then you have people like, I don't know why I always attract, you know, Mm-hmm. the bad guy or whatever. Um, and that's why, because you have a sign on your head, a blinking. <laughs> My <laughs> therapist is like, you have a blinking red sign on your head. You know, like that, The it's just you're, this is who you're attracting. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I actually, I did the same thing whenever I was a teenager. I just coming out of, you know, a dysfunctional family yep. experience and, and it just, I was looking to, 
create something new, but I hadn't healed Mm -hmm. and done work on myself from coming out of that dysfunctionality, dysfunctionalness, dysfunctionality, dysfunctionality. Hmm. I know. And so once I started doing work on myself was actually, yeah, whenever I found my husband, just so happened to find him with, I honestly didn't think I was going to get married for another 10 years or even date. So, um, that was kind of cool that that came out of it, but it it literally attracted a completely different person. Yep. The thing that stood out for me, like with Michelle's story, was that her mother, she was not considered. Ooh. And um, and she kept saying that. And that was obviously something that she had done work on and discovered. And I saw in that moment that she described that and, and later on, my friends who weren't considered, like my friends who had childhoods where they weren't considered. Mm. And I saw what that did to them. Like I saw, like in that moment when she described that, I saw what that did to them. I thought it was really interesting, like what that does to a person, what that does to a child when they're not considered in the equation and they become this like hyper self-reliant in these hyper, hyper self-reliant individuals. And it makes it really hard for them to be interdependent as mm-hmm. opposed, you know, like <laughs> to have those relationships where, you know, there's like a, a that balance. But it's really interesting that she talked about that because it was a great term to use to describe what was happening in her life. Mm. And I think it's something that a lot of people experience when their parents aren't able to be there for them and they're going through their own, they have their own life that does not include their children. Like they really, like truly their own life. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a separate thing. It's not like I'm a mom and I'm a career woman and I'm a this. It's like this, this, oh yeah, and I have kids, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I really heard that that does, what that does to kids and what that must feel like. And I wondered how many people, um, would hear that and go, Oh my gosh, that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, we interviewed another woman recently and when she was describing a friend of mine and when she was describing her childhood, I was like, I, I thought uh, like, Oh, you weren't considered like the same thing happened. Mm -hmm. I, and so anyway, I just thought that was something that's been rolling around in my head that stuck with me, um, about that. And, something I frankly thought about as it related to my own parenting. Like, do my children know, I mean, they're little, but do they know that they're considered? Like, that's really important. Mm-hmm. It's really important for kids to know that. And um, it's a form of showing love and safety and stability. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, that was the only other thing that I just wanted to highlight from the episodes this month where I thought people might you know, have something to explore there. Yeah. Well, first of all, I can absolutely answer. I mean, yeah, I can't you answer that for your kids. Too. I did. I can guarantee your kids feel considered. I think what makes you feel <laughs> that better absolutely happened in my childhood as well. I I think that was the most damaging thing. I mean, coming when you out of heard it. that when you heard that from Michelle. Mm-hmm. Were you like, oh yeah, I knew that, or were what, like, was that like a term? Like, what did you think about that? I it was like hearing it for the first time. Right. Okay. I never heard. I didn't feel considered. Right. I, I think 
what I had like felt. Like you knew that that was the feeling. That was the feeling. I think what I had put words to with it before was I felt ignored. Right. I felt. You were important. Yeah, not important. Very, I've recently discovered devalued. Right. Um, yeah, so, like these are all terms I've heard you use, but like mm-hmm. that blanket Never term, like I wasn't considered. considered. That's exact. like even in like our, like when we moved and like, I understand moving can be a part of life, right? You moved and, and moves can be easy depending on if it, if you're going to a place that you want to go to. But for me, both of our moves were not, they were two completely different places culture wise than I was used to, had to start over friends wise, had to start over in like a really weird, like coming out of junior high into high school. It's just really tough to make friends. Everybody has their friend groups. And it like almost reinforced that feeling as well. Cause I was like a, almost like a second rate citizen until I found my friend group. And, but whenever I told my parents, like I, I told them one time, I was like, I am not going, like, I'm going to figure out how to live here mm-hmm. and I'm not moving with you. Right. I'm like 12. <laughs> They're like, right. okay, where are you going to live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A cardboard box, yeah. you know? And, right, right. But there was no like, I'm sorry, let's help you through this. It right. was like discussion. Nothing. I mean, they sat me down to tell me about right, it right. and they but weren't no, like, like. No asking you how that feels or. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And then I remember. <laughs> This is like such a bad memory, but I'm going to out it. This is bad for me. So I remember like animals were kind of like a theme in my Mm -hmm. life. Like my sisters and I are like animal freaks. Like we, I specifically am the crazy person that like treats my dog like a child. Like people say like they would love to die and come back as my dog because (laughs) we feed her the best food. Like just we're crazy in love with our dog and, and that makes us happy to treat her like a child and, and my last dog as well. And like we were promised before I moved to Atlanta, which was a hard move for me as well. Cause just, it was, again, it was kind of one of those cultural differences. Um, we were promised a dog when we moved there. And I, it was like my one thing I held on to. Like, we yeah. don't have a dog. We'd had a dog before and it was given away because we moved. Just trauma around moving. Ooh. Like, you don't, like, anything you know about me, you don't take my animal away. Like, <laughs> yeah. do not take my yeah. animal away. Like, don't do it. I won't even hand people, like, my dog's leash mm-hmm. unless I know you, like, I have like a half background check on you. And I know that, like, you're like the crazy level of OCD right. that, like, you'll catch like the grass before it goes into her mouth, like that level. And we never got that dog. No, we got the dog, but it was three years later. My parents got divorced a year later and we came home from school one day and the dog was given away because my mom didn't want to deal with it. So it's like stuff like that, that always happened. And like, it's the not being considered. And then whenever we would like get into like, we'd, we'd, that's upsetting. Oh, yeah. That's your dog's given drama. away. Your dad just moved out. Your oh, parents yeah. are getting divorced. That's awful. Our bunny died, which we loved our bunny. Yeah. We would walk around leashes. And then our dog was given away, not just given away, to the neighbors down the street. <laughs> so we watched them walk by with our dog every day. Oh, my God. And we were like, so weird. what do we do with it? So we cried and we were told we were selfish. Right. We were selfish. And like there was something else because we were upset because, right. because we were mad. So I, I'm not trying to say that to tell a sob story. I think I'm trying to connect that not, it, it, that's an example of not being, that's an example of daily life and not being considered to- in it. Absolutely. And what it looks like yeah. as an adult. And I, I definitely saw this when Michelle was describing 
her, she's engaged to a lovely man now. He just, he takes care of her. She really talks about that in her, in her episode, how he considers her. Mm-hmm. She used that language. Mm-hmm. He considers me in things. And it's like it still surprises her. And I know that because I heard it in her, but also because my husband and I literally just, after, you know, one of our like tiffs that we get in, yeah. like, ah, I just, I told him something and I said, like, when you say that, it makes me feel like invisible or devalued. Mm-hmm. And he's like, babe, I'm so so like, I'm so sorry. And then he has to kind of like every once in a while be like, I'll change this. Yeah. But I want to remind you, like, I'm not from your past. Right, 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 like, I, right. I'm not like, someone from your right. past. Like, I'm not going right. to, that's not going to happen to you. Like these, like, I'm right. not going to put you in a situation where it's like, you are like bottom of the barrel. You have no voice or does it, that's, that's how it feels. It feels like your voice is completely taken away. Yeah. And that's, that's, um, when I feel mine was like, there were different things, but when I feel unheard, like if I feel unheard, that is because for me, my voice, you know, I use communication as my greatest skill, right. To Mm -hmm. like, get what I want or talk things through or particularly in my marriage or host a podcast yeah, or host a podcast. <laughs> and when I feel unheard, I have like, I have a reaction that is so out of <laughs> line with what's going on, especially if I'm pregnant. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I lost my mind. Um, completely. <laughs> But if I feel unheard, like I notice, I notice my behavior changes rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I notice that um, I like feel like a teenager. Mm-hmm. I start to get re- like really upset and angry and I want to get like big and loud and scared. Like I just, mm-hmm. it gives me this reaction and it's totally touching on like those experiences. And when I say like, I mean, I said like irreparable and I took that back. And I do, again, think that these things are, you can do a lot of healing. But the truth is that when you have those experiences, later on in life, when the, that piece of you is triggered, like it's really hard not to go back to that. Like to the, your body goes back to the physical feelings of those original circumstances. Absolutely. Even though it's not the original circumstance. Absolutely. I, I have a funny story to share before I wrap up. This is definitely outing me in my little like trigger tantrum. <laughs> my husband and I were engaged at the time and we thought, you know, let's go. Uh, we needed to register for the wedding and we wanted like a to register. You mean like, yeah, yeah, register. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. yeah. not register for the wedding, but do a registry for the wedding. And so we had like two places we wanted to stop by and we thought, let's make this like a fun day. Like this will be like a celebration day. We'll make it like really relaxing. We're choosing things for like what we want, you know, for our new life together. This will be great. And so (laughs) we went and stopped and got something to eat beforehand. And as we're eating, we kind of overheard a conversation between like a parent and a child. And I won't go into exactly what it was, but Essentially, it seemed like we had two different views on how that situation oh, should have been handled, right? I am so I know exactly <laughs> where this is going. And so yep. I like we we obviously it's I'm not a parent yet, mm-hmm. but like I do know the cardinal rule of don't judge. You, like someone's got their kid, you don't know the situation where they're coming from, what kind of a day they've had completely. So 
Let me just say, it was a very loud situation that was happening right, at this right, restaurant, right. It so it's impossible to ignore. Questionable. <laughs> Completely questionable. Yeah. And so I waited, and we left, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, okay, so if that were me, this is how I would have handled right. it. And this kind of also went along with, like, we're still, like, getting to know each other right, and, right. like, talking about, because we've, like, decided, like, at this point, you know, before we get married, like, we, yes, we want kids eventually. Like, the, yeah. how, how do we want our lives to look? And Roger and I were raised, like, completely differently. And he said something, and it was just like so. Again, I won't even go into it because it'll spark debate. But it was so completely different from how I would have handled right, right, said right. situation. Right, right, right. To the point where he was like, "Oh yeah," attacking mm-hmm. like my ability. Mm-hmm. To be a mother in mm-hmm. the future, oh, like yes. completely slashing the depths of who I am. And my husband, I have to say, is a very sweet guy. So it was like weird to see this come out. And I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me, like hold my earrings. Like it was like, this is the, like, I grew up in Atlanta, uh-huh. hold my earrings because this is going to rumble. Like we're going to rumble right now. And instead of this beautiful registry day, the <laughs> you're going to write like, about how to parent someone else's child. Completely. Oh yeah. Get back in the car oh, yes. to the point where like, I was so triggered. Oh yeah. Right. Like, and it was this like emotional oh, tantrum because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like, he wasn't hearing me. It was like right, the depth right. of it. Right. That, that like I pulled my engagement ring off. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like threw it at his head and it like pinged off of his head. And he's like, I paid a lot of money for that. You better not lose that. And I was like, I do not care. I will find somebody else. Oh you will God. not tell me what to do. You will hear what uh-huh, I'm telling you. Uh-huh. I mean, I was like that's how I got, that's, a rage no, monster. I, I completely <laughs> lose my mind. I absolutely like, <laughs> like, like become an irrational human being, yes. like irrational. Oh, yes. I I don't even know. I don't think Dak did anything. This I was pregnant, so I was a little psychotic, <laughs> and I had something I've, called pregnancy rage. Ladies, look it up. It's a real. It's thing. a thing. It's yeah. a real thing. Um, <laughs> it's like the opposite of the women who cry their whole pregnancy. Um, and I was like super pregnant, right, with the twins, and was like, I'm moving out. And I'm going to go have the twins at my parents' house. And, like, I just – and he was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You're, you're going you're gonna to leave? Like, you're going to – I was like, absolutely. Like, I'm not doing this. He's like, you're not doing – I didn't even do anything. You know, like, it was the craziest. And I was like, if you're not careful, you're going to see the kids through plexiglass. And he goes – he goes, wait, why am I going to jail? <laughs> Like, I just, like, oh, my God. I was just, like, (laughs) lost my mind. Absolutely lost my mind. But it was, like, it was an elevated version of the normal version of, like, you're not hearing me. But we have gotten in out-and-out fights, like, (laughs) about other people's marriages. Like, full-on, we're fighting. Well, like, if I were her, I would have blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, she probably, but we have literally, we have no Lost fight. It. There's no beef between There's us. There's nothing between There's you nothing guys. There's nothing between it's us. Just- We're fighting about somebody else's marriage. <laughs> and I literally, we've, st- like, a Dak has stopped and been like, okay, we probably shouldn't be fighting about so-and-so's marriage. Like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, well, I still wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> But yeah, I I totally relate to that. We've done it with kids. I've done it with like, you know, whatever, whatever thing it is where you're like, we have, we basically don't have a reason to fight. So we're fighting other people's fights. This is all good. This is is a cute look. And this is a great glance into marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. How long have you been married? It'll be 
13 years in April. Oh my God. I don't even know where the time has gone. That's crazy. I like. How long have we been together? Uh, I should know this. 14. So we were together, by the time we got married, we were together for two years. So it'll be 15 years we've been together. Oh, wow. That's a lot of life. We just celebrated 10 and I kind of had a panic attack about it. Wow. 10 years together. That's amazing. We met when I was 23. Oh. Or we, no, we got together when I was 23. But I'm like, wait a minute. That's beautiful. Yeah, but I, that's what? Isn't it crazy to think back to that person? Because we got, we met when, well, let me see. We met when we were 21. We got together when we were 22, I think. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Early 20s. Somewhere early 20s. Thinking back to the person that we, or the people that we were. Oh is that not trippy to think about? And like, think about, I think about like how old I was, like, I was when I, you know, met the person I was going to get married to and like how old he was, you know, just all those. Yes. Super weird. That's weird. It's weird. It's a long time. But it's cool to look back and to think like if, okay, so whatever situation you're dealing with right now, little or big, how you would have handled that back then would have been, I mean. (laughs) Well, I was 23, so. Not phenomenal probably. Definitely phenomenal, just questionable is in which direction (laughs) phenomenally bad phenomenally ragey yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's cool to like look at that because it's like whenever you plug in and you're invested in working and growing yeah it's really neat to see and look back because even on those days where you're like gosh have like have we grown have we worked through things or have I grown you know and like you're kind of checking yourself you look back and it's like oh yeah I'm like, oh, it's absolutely oh, happened. Oh, yeah. I used to wear that pant size. I've definitely grown. Oh, <laughs> you stop it. <laughs> no, Goodness I, gracious. I think it's, uh, I think I do. I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's pretty crazy to see like how far we've come and how much work we've had to do to stay together. Like, In order to get, yeah, you guys, we've worked our asses off to stay together and it pay, it pays off. Honestly, it really does. Like I see the people who have had less, like hadn't had, have not had to work as hard, but they str- like the struggles that mm-hmm. they have that go basically untouched and unresolved because yep. they don't have the skills so they just live with them yeah and it's an interesting thing like because I, I had a lot of insecurities about that for a long time and frankly it's just been way easier like it's like yeah. one complication I don't have right now like well, the, I just don't it's not an issue the craziest thing is when you're married you're gonna have to do work at some point oh. <laughs> And so it's uh-huh. almost good to be aware oh, yeah. of the dysfunction from the get-go. Well, and to establish a way to talk about it and deal with it mm-hmm. because that was the main thing. It's not even that. It's like we established that we sit down and talk through hard topics or easy topics that we compromise and that if we need help, we go to therapy and we have a third party help us. We is like from early on we established these are the things that we do we don't run away from each other although i threaten to run away so that is something i'm working on um i do i do have a little problem with that i'm really working on that we won't do this however that's my biggest however yeah we don't run away which is um well he doesn't run he definitely doesn't run away because then i would freak out absolutely trigger me to like i would yes triggered half to death and um so what's one of the amazing things is like he just never does that to me but we established a way to like do we need to go to 
you know, see our therapist to talk this through. Mm-hmm. And are you hearing what I'm saying? What did you hear me say? You know, just yeah. like all these, we establish these things, these tools that give us a framework for putting all this new stuff into. Yeah. Because there's new stuff now. There's like how to parent children now. So it's new stuff. It's dysfunction at it, like, or whatever it is new. And, but we have the same framework. Right. And the framework still for the most part works. So that's, I think that's the value of like having to fight out all the kinks beforehand, which was not fun, but definitely worth it. Like it's absolutely paid off. And uh, for those of you who might be new to the podcast, Ashley and her husband, Jack, go into this in episode 15 in season one. How do you remember that number? It's because I I have like a photographic memory. So if I see it, yeah. then like it'll be like a picture in my head. And so whenever I publish it, I, it's like I can, right. I can pull up like the picture that was used in the episode. Like I see the whole like need, publishing need platform. It's it, it also drives you crazy. You also remember images that you don't want to remember. So That's true. <laughs> It's I'm, very hard to unsee something. I'm trying to remember what day it is. So <laughs> you're also a mom. My <laughs> sisters both say that that happens. It to does. Them. It does. Your brain does not work the same way. Like your memory. I used to not have to write my homework down, and when I was in college and undergrad, you also have a lot on your plate. I'm just going to throw that yeah, out there. But I still have trouble remembering what day it is. I think today's Wednesday. Well. The podcast is not coming yeah. out on Wednesday, but secretly we secretly. are recording this on a wink, Wednesday. Wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> this is recorded. Insider information. Yeah. But I'll also include the link in the show notes to your episode because Ashley and Dak hash out so many different things that they... <laughs> we hashed something out in the you, podcast booth, which is a little bit funny. It was phenomenal. <laughs> it was great. And it's real. It, it was, it like was so real. Well, I did... It, I, I think I had mentioned this at one point. I was like... I kind of, I'm sitting there, right? Like listening to the sound, making sure everything's good. And I was like, should I leave? Like, yep. this is a, this is like, I'm, I'm like getting a snapshot into something very personal currently. Right. And even though I'm going to hear this later because right. I'm going to listen right, for, right, right. Exactly. for his sound yeah. quality, I'm like, should I give him a moment? <laughs> right. Right. Like, oh, they're, they're going to talk this out right now. Yeah. So I think I had my head down and I was yeah. like, hmm, like yeah. look, looking no, at but, other things. I mean, that's the thing is like. If you don't want every fight you get into or every disagreement you get into to be the kitchen sinking, right, where Mm -hmm. you, like, are so mad about all the other things that you haven't dealt with, like, if Mm -hmm. you don't want that to happen, which I cannot stand, Mm -hmm. I'm like, what fight are we having? Like, I need to know what fight we're having here. Like, so Mm -hmm. I hate when it's like, wait, we're not, we're, you're fighting about something else. Like, you're upset Mm -hmm. about something else. I'm, I'm not following here. Then you have to address it, like, when it comes up. And that's, like... That's uncomfortable. Like, but we, you get used to like, okay, like just talking that through and being uncomfortable. Well, it was amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. And I really hope that if uh, anyone who's listening to this hasn't heard that episode, go and check it out. We'll include it in the show notes. So if you're not familiar with how to access show notes, then just click on uh, the podcast image, swipe up in Apple Podcasts, and you should be able to access the show notes immediately. They're also on our website, which is lionrockrecovery.com backslash podcast. And follow us on Instagram. The Courage to Change underscore podcast. And Facebook, too. And Facebook. I don't know what the Facebook is. (laughs) 
<laughs> just look up the Courage the to Change. The Courage to Change a Recovery Podcast. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm so glad to be back at this. This yes. is so much fun. So fun. Uh, even though it's very time consuming, but so worth it. <laughs> Love this. And we will catch you guys later. We'll be back in another three episodes for your next after the episode. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800-258-6550 or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information. 